Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. About one in nine people over the age of 65 have Alzheimer's dementia. This hour, how early detection and intervention are key. Joining us from IPR's Des Moines studio, once again, we welcome Dr. Yoge Shah, a geriatrician, and director of the Broadlawns Memory Center in Des Moines. Dr. Shah, a warm welcome back to you. Ben, thank you. And I want to thank Iowa Public Radio as well as your producer, Caitlin, for arranging this. Uh, as, as we know, discussion and uh, education on the radio is very helpful to everyone. Very good. Alongside you uh, in the studio, Doyle Scott with us. Uh, Dr. Shaw, uh, Doyle is one of your patients. He's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and we'll get to your story in a few minutes. Doyle, thank you for coming in, having the courage to share your story so that more may benefit from uh, raising awareness. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Ben. It's an honor to be here and have an opportunity to speak to people on the station. All right. And we want to reach out to our listeners this hour. Uh, do you or a loved one have dementia? You can share your journey this hour, as Doyle uh, will do in a few minutes. And also just questions that you have about research, uh, detection, care, treatment, uh, prevention of Alzheimer's, other types of dementia. one 780 9100 1-866-780-9100. Or you can email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Dr. Shaw, before we have Doyle share his story story and how early intervention was really a key, uh, expand a little bit on just the few words I had to say at the outset. In broad terms, in this area of dementia, detection, and treatment, what we're focusing on today, what are the key messages you want to get across in connection uh, with uh, Doyle's case and others like it? Three, three key messages, and one, dementia is not a normal part of aging. Let me repeat that, that even though as we age, dementia gets common because of age as a process, but people who live up to 90 and 100 and even more worldwide, not everyone gets dementia. So dementia is not a normal part of aging. The second key message is that for most dementias, there's a precondition called mild cognitive impairment, or MCI. If this condition, MCI, get detected years before dementia happens, we can reverse, delayed, or slow down the process. So if MCI, mild cognitive impairment, can be detected, which, and I'll mention how, are they, how to detect them, up to 40% of dementias can be prevented or delayed. And third, which is the most recent news, is there are lots of different ways dementias can be detected now. Just like what we do with cholesterol, with diabetes. We just do, I don't di- diagnose anyone with diabetes by looking at them anymore. We have to have blood sugars. We have to have a high hemoglobin A1C. Same way for dementia now, most dementias now, we have biomarkers either through blood, through fluid in the back called CSF, cerebrospinal fluid, or through spatial scans. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you've laid some good groundwork there, uh, Dr. Shaw, and we'll come back to those themes in various ways as we continue through this hour. Doyle Scott, um, let's start talking about your case. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, your career. Introduce us, please. Okay. Um, I was uh, raised in Sheraton, Iowa. My father worked for Hy-Vee. He was the first accountant that was hired by Hy-Vee. And um, I did my undergraduate work at Drake University. Um, went to be an accountant when uh, got to the, uh, in fact, I have a, I'm from a family of accountants. My One of my brothers has a CPA and I have a sister that has a CPA. But when we got to the class where we separated the men from the boys, I found out I was a boy. <laughs> and I really was very interested in going to education. And so that's where I ended up doing. So I became a teacher and a coach. I taught business classes, including accounting and uh, eventually then made the decision to move into administration. And I got uh, a master's degree at the University of South, uh, South Dakota, got a specialist degree from Drake University and ultimately a PhD from Iowa State University. Mm-hmm. Then I served a number of school districts uh, and uh, closed out uh, my last superintendency was at Winterset. Mm-hmm. And you, you have a wife and family? I have five daughters. Five daughters, wonderful. Now let's focus in and on... And wife also. Uh, yeah, she's <laughs> yes. sitting next to right. <laughs> Oh, she's, she's there as well. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Welcome to you. What is, what is your wife's name? Star, S-T-A-R-R, two R's on that. Star, welcome. Uh, we'll keep you in mind as you're <laughs> providing, I assume, some moral support for Doyle as he tells his story here. Doyle, your father, uh, you mentioned, uh, he died. Uh, he had, uh, in 2006, I believe, he had Alzheimer's. So you were on uh, alert for uh, symptoms of Alzheimer's, I assume. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, by the time that he died, he really didn't know much of anything. I'd, I'd tell a quick story that um, I used to call him as I would be going to meetings and because he was in the nursing home and I would just visit with him for a little while and tell him things. Well, one day I called him, had five things I wanted to tell him, got done, hung up, and remembered I hadn't told him something, so I immediately called him right back. Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't remember the previous conversation, and I knew he wouldn't remember any of it, but I just wanted to yeah. spend a little time with him. So by yeah. the time he was gone, he, he really wasn't aware of much of anything. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your case. Mm-hmm. The first warning signs that you noticed, uh, when were they and what were they? Well, I, the first warning signs probably came from my family. Mm. Um, I had been worried about my memory to some extent for a number of years. And when I would go to the doctor, uh, I would mention that. And they always said, well, if I wanted to be referred on, I could. they would do that. Um, back in probably 2021, I met with my PA and uh, again mentioned the, and this was a different doctor than I'd gone to before. My previous doctor was a great doctor and had done me well, but I just never asked him to refer me on. And in this case, um, I had said something to her, but then again, I didn't go any further. But and, 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 and Doyle, what, what specific things were worrying you at that point, just in daily life, what was happening? I, you know, at, at times I had a little trouble remembering. Now, I used the Franklin Planner, and that became my brain, and that's how I remembered things. And I've read stuff that says, well, that isn't abnormal for this to happen. But I just felt like I wasn't just as sharp as I should be at times. And so when I came back and I had the second meeting with her, again, I expressed some concern. And she said to me, well, if you need a referral, I'll make mm-hmm. it to you for it 
to uh, for you. And so I went home, and then a few days later, I said, you know, I think I need to be referred on. Mm -hmm. And then she got in touch with Dr. Shaw, and uh, so it was October 22 was when we asked for the referral. And then uh, in December, then we met with, or I met with Dr. Morris. Okay. Um, Doyle, let's go to the day you were diagnosed there. And Dr. Shaw, since you are in the picture, so to speak, as well at this point in this narrative, uh, feel free to jump in and elaborate so that we have a full picture of this. But Doyle, start us off. Tell us about your diagnosis, um, um, how that happened, uh, and, and your reaction Okay, so they had referred me to Broadlawns, and I cannot say enough nice things about Broadlawns and the staff that they have there. And so uh, I was meeting with Dr. Morris. They had me take a, what they call a MOCA, M-O-C-A test. And in the MOCA test, I scored 24 out of 30. Now, normal is 26. And so then they suggested that I have an MRI and then from that, they uh, they could um, tell that I had mild cognitive impairment. Mm. And so then the following January, so a month later, then they started me on uh, Aricept. Okay. There we have what Dr. Shaw mentioned a few mo- moments ago, and this is a key point to, to catch it, is what I'm understanding, Dr. Shaw. MCI, mild cognitive impairment. Talk a little bit about uh, Doyle's diagnosis, the stage that he was at here. Yes, so... Mild cognitive impairment, the term which has been in use for more than 20 years, and I was when lucky enough to be at Mayo Clinic in 2000 when this term was just getting out uh, in medical field. So what that means, uh, and compared to any form of dementia, is there is a decline in our functioning, brain functioning, but enough to feel different than what normally I would feel, but not enough to take away my independence. Mm. Meaning I can still function, uh, in Doyle's case, he can can, still drive, can do most of the things, but just takes extra time, extra energy, might make some mistakes. While case of dementia, the decline has goes a little bit farther that I now lose part of my independence, that mm-hmm. instead of forgetting, uh, instead of driving with mistakes, now I cannot drive. Instead of cooking with longer time and recipe takes longer, I can't cook. I, I cause fire in my kitchen. So that yeah. that is the main difference between but, mild cognitive impairment and some form of early dementia. And it is that is then a spectrum. So you move along this spectrum toward dementia from mild cognitive impairment. And Doyle at the time he was diagnosed, you uh, were on the start of this spectrum here, and the idea here is we want to slow that down, right? Exactly. When you put it very well, so it's a spectrum, and the earlier we diagnose on this spectrum, and now we can, since we have now treatments and prevention, better we can utilize our knowledge to, to all three things. We can slow down. In, in Doyle's case, hopes are it will be much slower than what it would have been without treatment and prevention. Second, we can reverse in some cases that they might feel back to what they were. And third, that they get better quality of life for longer time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were the, the, the treatment phase uh, began here. We have uh, about a minute before we go uh, to, to break and come back. Uh, Dr. Shaw, tell us briefly what was the treatment 
given to Doyle here. So now, uh, in the very recently, since July, we have new anti-amyloid. Am- amyloid is a protein which is the key protein in brain with people with Alzheimer's disease. We have anti-amyloid disease-modifying treatment, meaning the drug which is called Lacambi or Lecanemab, that's the uh, generic name, mm-hmm. it goes through IV in work goes to the brain and now attaches to the bad protein, amyloid protein, dissolves it kind of, and then makes brain better. Mm, Okay. That's the treatment, uh, luckily, Doyle is on. Okay, Dr. Shah is in our Des Moines studio, as is um, one of his patients, Doyle Scott. And when we come back, we'll ask Doyle about the early days of that treatment, how that's uh, progressed, how that is slowed, perhaps reversed the progression of uh, his um, mild cognitive impairment. We'll be back in just a moment. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. So glad you're with us midstream in this edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer this hour, talking about Alzheimer's, um, early detection, uh, also um, a stage before on this spectrum of Alzheimer's, mild cognitive impairment. What can be done when it is detected early uh, and the treatments that are available now. Uh, joining us, Dr. Yogesh Shaw, a geriatrician, director of the Broadlands Memory Center in Des Moines. Doyle Scott is uh, one of Dr. Shaw's patients, and he's telling us his story so that we can all learn from it. And you can share a story uh, uh, if you'd like, or ask a question, one 780 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Okay, let's go to you, Doyle. Um, the, the treatment, what was that like, getting this these drugs, Lakembi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, this infusion, um, and, and that started, I believe, in late 2022. Uh, how did you experience the, the treatment? Just Ben, one one clarification. Yeah. You pronounce it right. It, he just started recently. Lacambi oh. was just started. Uh, he Doyle has received four infusions. It's every two weeks. So, so just received two months ago. Just two months ago. Okay. Yeah. So take us back, perhaps a little bit earlier in the earlier treatment, uh, Doyle, and tell us how, how the treatment began. What 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 happened, and how you responded, how you felt about that. Yeah. Well, uh, when we met with Doctor Shaw on. September 23rd, we'd, as he mentioned, we had talked about Lakembi and agreed to do some tests. I got a lumbar puncture. They were looking for amyloid proteins. They did genetic testing where they took some blood. And the whole thing was to find out if I would qualify for it. And, in fact, I did. So then I had my first Lakembi uh, infusion on December 6th. Um, what that amounts to is I go to the hospital, they put a needle in my arm or my hand or wherever they can find a vein, mm-hmm. and then I sit there for an hour The first time, while they put it into me. Um, the first time, 
they wanted me to wait for three hours afterwards to see that if I had any reaction, adverse reaction to it. Mm-hmm. After an hour, they said, oh, you want to go down and get some lunch? Go ahead and go down and get some lunch. And mm-hmm. I came back, and they sent me home after two hours because yeah. I had no problems. And really, I've had none since I started taking it. So now I have it every two weeks, and I'll have it every two weeks for 18 months. I come to Broadlawns to get it, but literally I can travel anywhere I want to. All I have to do is make, in advance, arrangements with an infusion center so that I can get it. Okay. And it takes me about an hour to get it. Yeah, no adverse effects. Wonderful. But Mm -hmm. uh, what have you noticed uh, in terms of any, any benefits, Doyle? Well, and of course, because I have a doctorate from, as I mentioned earlier, so I'm always concerned that it's a placebo effect. Right. But right now, I think what I'm seeing is that I am better at keeping track of things and tracking on things. So I would I would suggest that I'm already seeing some benefit from it. Mm-hmm. That would probably earlier than they would have suspected I would get it. But I do believe that I, I am uh, doing better since I have started on it. Dr. Shaw, is there a way to objectively sort of identify the the benefits here? Because, you know, we are talking about the brain, and it's hard to evaluate that. Belief is a very strong healing thing. And uh, what what do uh, other cases say about the uh, effectiveness of uh, this treatment? Uh, great question, Ben. So the the research trial for Lacambi, it's called Clarity AD, and that goes by one primary outcome. It's called CDR, sum of boxes. I'll not go into too much detail, but basically it's the memory and functional part of the patient through asking patient and the caregiver. But the second important part is amount of the bad protein I mentioned, amyloid, going down through PET scans. And in the study, over 18 months, 70% of people had significant decline of Mm. this bad protein. Uh, To your question, objectively, yes, the amyloid will go down because the protein gets dissolved and comes out of the fluid. So so that we, 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 of course, it's too short, too soon, so we have not checked on the Doyle case, Mm -hmm. but that's the question we discussed actually just last time in the clinic, what objectively, how should we measure in his case to see how much protein is coming down. Is there a variability among patients in how they respond to Lecambi uh, in terms of that imaging and the reduction of those plaques? Yes, there is. And that's why in case of Ben and, and every patient who qualifies or not for Lecambi, we do genetic test, what Doyle mentioned, called APOE4, APOE, APOE. And what that does uh, to our brain and to our body, people with two same genes called APOE4 and 4, they tend to have higher chance of dementia and amyloid deposition and less response to Lacambi. So yes, people with APOE4 and 4 will have less response. In case of Doyle, luckily he does not have that. So there's a potentially positive response. Along with that, uh, Ben, I also ask, and Dr. Morris is part of my team, uh, we ask for prevention also. We ask patients to continue to live healthier lifestyle, physical activity, mm-hmm. healthy diet, everything else, what has shown as a prevention of uh, patients would and hopefully should do. And Doyle is a 
prime example so of doing what, that regularly. What about caffeine, alcohol? Uh, recently, years ago, if you had asked me, five years ago, I would have said glass of wine is healthy for brain. Now, recently, it's come out that no alcohol is better. And if you decide, somebody decides to drink, should not be more than 14 units of alcohol per week. That means not not one one unit, a uh, glass of wine is three units. So if I if somebody has every other day three glass of red wine, that should be more than plenty. Mm-hmm. And caffeine? Ca- caffeine is healthy. Caffeine, if you like caffeine, okay. uh, I'm, have your I'm coffee, sure you, have your tea. <laughs> I'm sure you. So, yes, well, have, a, have, a, have a cup uh, of or two of caffeine. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty okay. good. So, but there are a lot of other prevention we can talk also. Yeah. So, so, this is, so, so we'll see. We'll hope for the best, Doyle, how this progresses. I'm wondering how you've experienced this, Doyle, um, in, in terms of coping with it, your mental state. Um, because I imagine, has it been a, um, a roller coaster, a bit of a roller coaster? Take us through that. Well, having seen my father and how he went through it, my initial reaction was not good because I all I could think of was how my father sure. acted and the things that he was doing. And I thought, I'm going to end up being like this. Mm-hmm. In fairness, I think that was part of the disease at that point. Because once I started getting things uh, under control and there was things that they told me to do, things to, to avoid, and I started to get some of those things taken care of, then I got better. The, I think the key here is that I'm not going to be who I was. There's a new normal for me. And what I'm able to do, because I've been given additional time, is that I can figure out ways to make my life work. So when I drive now, I always carry two GPSs with me. Now, I, I know where I'm going. I know how to get there and all that other things, but I feel more comfortable once I've got those things with me. And so I'm figuring out things like that that will make my life easier so that as I deteriorate, if I can use that word, then I'll be able to function for a longer period of time. Right. Well, yeah, Doyle, well, well said. Uh, when, as you listening, I'm listening and learning from Doyle also, but very well <laughs> said uh, at his level of functionality for him to be out and open and talk about this like this. I think one of the main takeaways from this conversation and the fact that Doyle is coming and sharing his story with thousands uh, of, of listeners here is that, uh, and, and Doyle, uh, I'll just ask you it this way, what is your goal in sharing your story today? You know, when I got this, I said, well, why would you treat me? Why would you spend all kinds of money putting me on the Kemby and things like that? And the reason is that I stayed with it is because I can help others. You know, I was in a helping profession. I don't want to spend however much just so I can live another six months or whatever and ending up in a nursing home that's going to cost lots of money. I want to help people to understand that you can do things to limit this now so that you're less likely to get it at an earlier age and maybe not have it as long. If it's inevitable you get it, then at least you can have a better life as you're doing that. And that's what my whole goal is. And like I said, I wouldn't have done it gone on to this if I hadn't known that in the process I could help others. Yeah. And so here, Doyle, denial is a problem. When you think you have something and you put it off and you just, of course, nobody wants to think about a a diagnosis like Alzheimer's or mild cognitive impairment, do they? 
Uh, no, trust me. <laughs> I'm sure my wife is sitting over here. She, oh yeah, she's just shaking her head. Yes. So, so, so that's the hurdle, Doctor Shaw, to get over here. That's a key message of this story of this sh- uh, hour. Exactly. You both put it very well, Ben and Doyle. So it's like many other things in life, in health life. We don't wait till. I get blood in my stool to detect colon cancer. I don't need to wait till I lose my kidney to diabetes. So just like that now, with all the knowledge we have about early detection of dementia, my hope is I don't see any patient with moderate dementia and everybody comes with just very early changes or mild cognitive impairment. That would be the perfect world where we can detect early, treat early, give all the information about prevention early and have great quality of life. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more, Dr. Shaw, about detection. I think you wanted to add some points that you you haven't to this point. So what very recently, and this is new for even many physicians in the field, now in last few years, uh, we have ways to detect uh, dementia early, meaning years ago, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have said the only certain way, 100% proof of diagnosis of Alzheimer's is through brain pathology after death, autopsy of the brain, looking at the plaques, the bad protein, and tangles. But now we can do the same thing in living person like Doyle through PET scans, special scans called PET scans, special through fluid in the back called lumbar puncture, and now even blood tests through plasma. And that's we do every day in our clinic. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to phones and emails. Join our conversation as we talk about early detection of Alzheimer's and mild cognitive impairment and the treatment of it, which is becoming more and more effective, as we're hearing in our conversation with Dr. Yogesh Shah, director of the Broadlands Memory Center in Des Moines, and one of his patients, Doyle Scott, uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's and uh, has uh, talked about how early intervention is helping and hopefully will continue to help. Let's go to our phones, one 780 Is it D in Waverly? Yes, sir. Well, welcome, uh, D. Uh, uh, what do you want to chip in here? Well, I just quickly want to thank you, gentlemen, for sharing this on the radio. I do have a question from uh, Doyle. He had spoken something about, uh, he questioned just just a few minutes ago, why are they doing this and um, spending all this money, but he's helping people. That makes me wonder, how is this being paid for? Is Broadlawn covering this under some kind of program, or does insurance cover this, or it cannot be uh, not expensive. Yeah, yeah the, the uh, good question. So the it's uh, the drug is covered. Lacambi is covered by our Medicare and Medicaid called CMS. It costs to twenty six thousand five hundred dollars per year for an average size person. And on top of that, there are costs associated with frequent uh, brain imaging, like mild MRIs and blood tests. So the cost Medicare covers most, except you have to pay 20% of your copay. So you still pay a little bit out of pocket, but it's mainly covered by insurances, including 
uh, I just gave Doyle good news about one young private patient on private insurance I have. Uh, she is also covered by her private insurance. So, no, it's not broad loans or any hospital doing. It's uh, insurance, our, our national insurance covers it. Okay. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks, Dee, for uh, chipping in the, the, on the question about costs. one eight six six. Thank you. one 780 Or if you prefer, email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Uh, here's an, an emailer with a, a question. Uh, is there any research showing a benefit from lumbrokinase. It's a dietary supplement. I probably butchered that name for Alzheimer's, according to this email. Uh, I just started reading about it after someone on Twitter uh, um, with long COVID issues was using it. I thought it was supposed to possibly benefit amyloid plaque. Um, what can you tell us about that emailer's question? Ben, I am not familiar with the term, what, okay. what I just heard. I, I read a lot on this topic, but as you know, the field is growing so fast as more and more of us age, especially post-pandemic, post-COVID. There's a lot of... In- just to give you the number-wise, in, in 1999, when I did the search about dementia prevention, there were five five articles on Google. Now, if you do recently, there can be as, mu- as many as 300 plus million articles of different type, not necessarily yeah. proof. Uh, so, so there's a lot of information. My job and uh, physicians and providers who are working in this field is to uh, take away all the noise, take away all the extra information, and focus on what's well proven. Yeah, and this is this is a good um, point to to mention, mm-hmm. perhaps how people can do research online here, because like a lot of other ailments, there are. Um, treatments that will not work or are not proven to work. Uh, how do you know what is good research and what is something that you should just not focus on? So my my couple of to- points on this. One, uh, National Alzheimer's Association does good job at filtering all and giving on their website uh, update on news which are applicable to patients. So I feel that might be a good site to go. Second, if you decide to take any over-the-counter supplement or, or just as, you, as your reader, uh, listener mentioned, any other, just do your own research. Don't depend on one site because even, even common terms like ginkgo biloba, as you might have heard, ginkgo has been talked about for memory for years. And, and even I used to promote it 20 years ago. Then we found out through consumer report study that most ginkgos over-the-counter do not have that actual content of ginkgo. So do your research about what you're going to take and why you're going to take. That's right. Uh, Supplements, uh, dietary supplements are not regulated in the way drugs are, are they, doctor? No, the FDA cannot. uh, In 97, we lost that (laughs) case, and the FDA cannot control dietary supplement. All they have to do is just say cure for Alzheimer's or it will help your memory yep. and it, they can mark it. Yeah, if it's a dietary supplement. So, so really beware there. Dr. Yogi Shaw uh, with us this hour, director of the Broadlands Memory Center in Des Moines. Doyle Scott uh, sharing his story, one of uh, Dr. Shaw's patients uh, undergoing treatment for Alzheimer's. Join us with your question or perhaps your story. one 780 one 780 
email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org, with your question uh, as we explore treatment of Alzheimer's. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Back with more of River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer. About one in nine people over the age of 65 have Alzheimer's dementia. This hour, we're exploring how early detection has improved and how intervention uh, is key. Join our conversation, 1-866-780-9100. Dr. Yogesh Shah had been dealing in this uh, area, uh, memory and uh, Alzheimer's for decades. He's a geriatrician, director of the Broadlawns Memory Center in Des Moines. Doyle Scott, uh, one of Dr. Shaw's patients who's uh, shared his uh, story. Let's go to our phones. Sierra is joining us from Atlantic. Hi, Sierra. Welcome to the program. Hi, Ben. Thanks for taking my call. I had a couple questions here. Um, first one is, you mentioned that Doyle's treatment is 18 months. Is that a once-in-a-lifetime treatment? Someone does it, they're done for the rest of life. Also, that um, he qualified for that treatment, but some people don't. And those who don't, what other treatments are available? And then lastly, um, I'm curious about you know early detection being so important. He talked to a couple doctors who kind of put the ball in his court said, do you want to be referred? And I'm curious about when a patient knows they need to say yes. Dr. Shaw, please tackle those questions. Sierra, great question. So let me go in the order you asked. So currently the way the treatment for Lacambi is, yes, it is for 18 months, and then we'll see how it goes. They're doing post-analysis for the research. Since it's a new drug, they can do study and see what happens to patients who were part of the research over X number of months, and then they'll decide what to do. What currently it's 18 months, and and hoping that that's the way it will be. So if if uh, the question, other question is, if you don't qualify, what to do? The qualification is very difficult and appropriately very selective patients. So according to Mayo study on this qualification. Only 10 to 15 percent of patients who would have mild cognitive impairment or early Alzheimer's disease would qualify for this drug. So only 10 to 15 percent. So I don't want false hope for Iowans that everybody in mild uh, case will be qualified. No. And if they don't, we still have a lot of good options. They can still, uh, we in our clinic, Dr. Morris and I talk about prevention. We talk about the med- common medications like Doyle mentioned, uh, Donapazil or Ericept and other drugs. So we can still offer that. If there's depression, we can take care of that through antidepression and we manage other reversible conditions like thyroid, vitamin D, vitamin B12 problems. Mm-hmm. So so there are a lot of other options. This is, gr- of course, definitely good option, but I don't want listeners to feel that there are there are many other options. And third, what is the the early detection? As you mentioned, yes, there are there are ways we we the patients don't have the the your Sierra. Your question is valid nationally. It's a big problem because we physicians are not great at referring and asking questions to our patients about their memory. So meaning, uh, at sixty five, uh, even though. Uh, 
us, we should be asking, hey, Doyle, how's your memory? We tend to not ask that question, but, but we should. That's one second. If patients, my suggestion, the patients should go with their caregiver, their loved one, their friend, and then friend should have uh, courage to uh, say, hey, by the way, Dr. Shah, uh, Doyle does have some memory problem, and mm-hmm. we should then have specific visit to talk about that condition. So you are, you are, all your questions are wonderful. Sierra in Atlantic, thanks for that great battery of questions. Let's go to Mount Vernon. Vicki is with us. Hi, Vicki. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. I have five sisters. None of us have any symptoms of Alzheimer's at this time. I'm 69, almost 70 years old. My older sister's 71, and we go down to age 60. But my maternal, the maternal side of my family, um, my mother, her siblings, male and female, and her mother all had Alzheimer's. My mother died of it. What should I do? What should I proceed with? Should I, I mean, there's early detection, I get that, but if I don't have memory issues now, is there something I should be doing? Uh, Vicky, thank you, and uh, congratulations to all your five sisters. As Doyle mentioned, he has five daughters, so I think the five is the theme here today. But so, 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 so I hope you all and and you are at the right age to to invest in prevention. Uh, my suggestion. Do not rush into getting blood check for any genetics. No need to do that now. Uh, but but okay. uh, learn about prevention. There's a YMCA in Des Moines has a very nice program called Keys, K-E-Y-S. Just Google Keys, uh, YMCA Des Moines. Uh, and it will talk about all the nice proof about prevention. Dr. Patricia Quinlesk, you might have heard her name. She was our state uh, epidemiologist. She and uh, Mary, Mary Kelly from YMCA Des Moines are doing a great program. Dol, do you have anything? Okay. Yeah, there's a couple things I think that you can also do. That I'm, I just don't do Lakembi and then walk around and, and live my life. So... Um, the things that they've told me to do is that I exercise every day. I've exercised, uh, I've, I've walked over 10,000 steps on my Fitbit for over 1,200 days. So I was exercising before I did this, but I lifted a high intensity um, for uh, my weights for about 30 minutes a day. And then I go out and walk at least two miles outside a day. But overall, I will get at least five miles in. Here's something for you that's really easy to do. Eat blueberries. They told me to oh. eat blueberries, and they really do help when I'm feeling foggy and things like that. But I'm going to give you a little bit of advice. They they told me, didn't tell me how much to eat. So I went <laughs> and I ate a lot of blueberries, and I paid for that. So I just eat a few of them, and they're easy to get, but they will help. They said make sure you okay. eat things like fish, poultry, and vegetables. I do mind okay. games. I get my I do mind games. I get my iPad out and I play multiple times a day, probably multiple hours of mind games and socialization. Make sure you okay. socialize. Now on top of that, they said here's the things to avoid. So these are the things I don't eat. I don't eat much red meat. I avoid fats. Okay. Uh, I I don't eat much sugar. Now, I, I want to be real clear about this. My diet used to be when I was hungry, I took a handful of chocolate chips. I made sure I had a big bowl of ice cream before I went to bed. None of that anymore. So um, very, very little sugar. I do get a little bit. Uh, I will eat breakfast food, and then, but I wash okay. to make sure it's 12 grams or less. Um, no alcohol. 
and uh, was what they told me not to. And he also, and they also told me not to drink caffeine. So, and frankly, I have problems with caffeine. So that just may be me because he hasn't mentioned that. But uh, <laughs> I avoid caffeine. So okay, and, wow, and it does give me wow. You've got a, you, you you got a lot for for your money there, Vicky, in terms of an answer. <laughs> I didn't? sure did. Yes, I did. <laughs> All Thank right. you yeah. so much, ben, ben, both of this, you. This, yeah, yeah. Doyle explained better than I would have explained. But wonderful. Agree with everything. The, the okay, and it's all we want to make sure everything that Doyle said, Doctor Shaw, is supported by science. Everything what he said is supported by very good science, and then and I can of course go into a lot more detail. Example for exercise, Doyle is doing wonderful. But if you are not the person who like exercise, the recent news is that even if you just do twenty five minutes. Not even 25 minutes per day, but just 25 minutes per week of exercise, four minutes per day, that has shown to change brain volume. Yeah, and that, that is, a, I'm looking at the Washington Post article on this new study, involved the scanning of the brains of more than 10,000 healthy men and women from 18 to 97, uh, finding that those who walked, swam, cycled, otherwise worked out moderately, as you said, for 25 minutes a week, had bigger brains, so this volume, so, so this is just, what is it doing in our brains to, 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 to have this exercise and, the, I guess, increased oxygen, right? It, it does three things. One, uh, yes, increases oxygen, but more long-term, it, it reduces inflammation. So brain, our brain, normal brain, goes through inflammation like all our organs. It exercise, it reduces inflammation. And third important thing, Ben, it does is there's a chemical called, and I'll, I'll say it here, but it's not important, BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. That chemical gets secreted in our body, in our brain, and it forms new brain cells and new brain connections. So it's a permanent change when we exercise. Okay, let's go back to our phones. So, well, we could we could go for hours. We've got a little more than five minutes. So much interest in this uh, topic. Uh, and, and, you know, it's... it's uh, Good news that we are getting better at detection, getting better at treatment. Uh, you know, so often Alzheimer's is this dark cloud. But uh, thank you, Dr. Shaw and uh, Doyle Scott, for providing us with, um, you know, light here uh, that we can reach out for. We have to, uh, if we, you know, uh, have that early detection and then go ahead with the treatment if we, uh, uh, if that's uh, for our case. Linda is with us in Des Moines. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the program. Hi. Um, Dr. Shaw, I met you at the Keys program, and I want to ask if um, I, my friend and I have urinary problems, and she got checked because she was feeling odd. We both have leakage that we, you know, we're both fit women and in good shape, but uh, so she was tested, and she did have a urinary tract infection, and that physician said it could lead to Alzheimer, urinary tract infection. Mm. Is that true? L Linda, thank you again, and thank you for, to be part of the KEYS program. So by itself, uh, I think what it might have meant, and I'm not trying to interpret what your conversation was, but the treatment, some medications for urinary incontinence can cause memory problem. So let me let me clarify that. There are drugs, the chemical we need in our, our brain is called acetylcholine. And there are medic, many medications like Benadryl, which 
removes this acetylcholine from our body, from our brain. And, and some of the medications for urinary incontinence also have tendency to remove this acetylcholine from our brain. They are called anticholinergics. So I get concerned when patients are taking anticholinergics, uh, incontinence drug sometimes being one of them, then I, I talk about that. But in general, if it is infection and if you treat infection, that's healthy. That's good to get infection treated. Mm-hmm. Linda, thank you for your call from Des Moines. When we talk about sort of early warnings here, also some new uh, research related to our discussion, Dr. Shaw uh, and uh, Doyle, um, uh, Washington Post article on this I'm looking at right now. For some Alzheimer's patients, the headline Vision problems may be an early warning. A large study bringing fresh attention to a lesser-known variant of the disease called posterior cortical atrophy. Dr. Shaw, comment, please. Yes, so when PCA or posterior cortical atrophy is a type variant of Alzheimer's, uh, missed many times because it happens to younger patients. It unfortunately happens to female more. 60% of patients are female. And they don't have memory problems. They start with vision problem, meaning they tend to have, while they're driving, distance judgment issue. They try to have issues suddenly with night vision. They try to have, even though they can see, they can identify things. So when that happens, uh, usually they tend to go and get their eyes fixed. Some People get cataract done, but that doesn't solve the problem. So my suggestion, if you are young, uh, in your 50s, 60s, and have sudden vision problem, don't don't just ignore, don't get fixed one time and say, okay, it will, uh, if you get it checked, now we have, just like I mentioned, when PET scan, we can detect PCA or posterior cortical atrophy uh, early, uh, and we don't have new drastic medications for it, but again, it will help patients to have uh, early detection, better quality of life, and they can then reduce accidents. Mm -hmm. Some other research uh, we can have you comment on, please, Dr. Shaw. Um, Can learning a new language stave off dementia? Research here suggesting that bilingual people enjoy some cognitive benefits later in life. Yeah, the bilingual uh, definitely helps, but has to be used on a regular basis. There's a concept called cognitive inhibition, meaning if I'm bilingual, in my case happens to be, and if I intentionally use English, my brain is intentionally stopping my mother language to be spoken out. And that intentionality, that mindfulness, causes brain to be more focused and prevents dementia. Doesn't mean you can't learn Spanish or French in your 60s. It helps. But more younger age you learn your first, second language, third language, better it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. One last email question here. We have a, just over a minute uh, to deal with this one. How easy is it to diagnose a mild cognitive impairment in someone who normally performs or scores at a very high level, this person asks. Rachel. Now, uh, now, yeah, go ahead. Now, now with biomarkers, it's it's easy. Uh, meaning if, if uh, I have, uh, like Doyle, if Doyle had score high on MOCA, uh, but still had some concerns, we would do these special tests, blood test or lumbar puncture, and wo- would be able to diagnose uh, MCI early. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Dr. Shaw, before we say goodbye, um, how can people find out more? What are the best places online to, to do some research, a starting point if you have, if there's a seed planted, if you have worries about yourself or a loved one, what should you do? I would say go to Alzheimer's Association. Iowa has a nice office. Uh, They have uh, chapters around the state, around nationally. Start with that uh, and then see how it goes. Uh, There is a clinical trial, uh, clinicaltrial.gov, that offers a lot of different trials for early detection, mild cognitive impairment, and treatment. Mm -hmm. Doyle, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your diagnosis of of Alzheimer's here. So good to break down the stigma connected with dementia, and you are helping others. You have helped others. Thank you so much for for coming forward, and uh, I I bet you're exchanging smiles now with your wife, I can imagine. (laughs) Thank you for letting us come on and do this. And I just want to say, man, you do a nice job. I've listened to your programs, (laughs) and you really do a nice job of researching and and doing things. So thank you for that uh, as well. Well, as the doctor mentioned, I have very able producers, uh, Caitlin Troutman, uh, for this one especially. Thank you very much. Dr. Shaw and Doyle Scott, thank you. Thank you. Blessings. Well, tomorrow is a politics day. Megan Goldberg of Cornell College will join us. Uh, Jim McCormick of Iowa State University. Yeah, there are plenty of politics to analyze, (laughs) as there is every week. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. Today's program produced by Caitlin Troutman and Samantha McIntosh with help from Tony Sarabia. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.